We've been studying the life of Abraham and Sarah together as they moved through God's call at really retirement age to experience new life and new uh, callings and new provisions and God's consistent promises. They had time to kind of like question and they had times that they failed, but they also had things that brought them laughter. Do you have things that make you laugh? I don't know if you're one of the people that goes and likes to look at like, like, like comedies and on movies or those kinds of, does anybody like, com- I used to not like comedies, I kind of wanted movies that were more epic, but some people, I like comedies, you know, it, just to kind of liven the soul a little bit. There's sometimes these cartoon movies that have been so popular by Pixar or by Disney, right, maybe those are the ones you really like, and those seem to come out quite regularly, and they become more popular. Or maybe you like those comedies on TV, and maybe it's like, like I think Sign Seinfeld and, and all of my college students are watching the ones that I watched back when I was in college, like Friends and Seinfeld. I thought, well, not only do clothes recycle, but apparently comedies on TV recycle. I did not know that. I'm thinking, leave it to Beaver. It's going to be up next. It's going to be a favorite. Uh, who knows what's coming next? Well, there are those things that make us kind of want to kind of get rid of the, this, this world, escape for a minute, laugh at the difficulties or situations of others. And it reminds us that there actually is different kinds of laughter, right? Sometimes it's just that hilarity. I mean, you can't control, you're falling out of your your seat at something funny. Sometimes it's the laugh of this, well, that's kind of amusing. It's kind of, it's okay, but it's it's kind of funny. There's a laugh of embarrassment. Do some of you do that? It's like you did something awkward, you did something embarrassing, and it's kind of like, ha, 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 let let me laugh this off a little bit. Just the other week, I got in one of those moments where I had my papers, you know, all the papers that were graded and in class, and, you know, you were putting something down here and something over here, and I dropped this and dropped that, and all of a sudden, papers are everywhere, and you look like the ridiculous bungling professor, right? I mean, it was like, is this a caricature? Is this a stereotype? I have become that person. And I thought, oh my goodness. And of course, I just laugh it off. Oh, well, you know, you're bungling professor. I'm laughing, but in the inside, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm embarrassed, right? Sometimes we're laughing in pretense. When someone else says something that was supposed to be funny, or they thought it was funny, but the rest of us are thinking that wasn't so funny. But you kind of give that little courtesy laugh, like, oh, ha, 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 you know, but you're not really laughing. Sometimes we laugh in unbelief, and sometimes in disbelief. Now, now, you know the difference, right? I mean, in some ways, those words can often be used synonymously. But unbelief is that like, oh, that's ridiculous. That isn't happening. What you're suggesting cannot be true. I am refusing to believe. That is, I mean, okay, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, that is just out of bounds. And sometimes we're laughing in disbelief. We are so stunned. We are so like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that actually came about. We are actually just like over the top laughing. Some of you all who are basketball fans, St. Peter's? Oh my goodness. I mean, knocking off what, Kentucky and now Purdue and now in the Elite Eight? How does a team do that? I mean, it's almost like, it's almost ridiculous. How could that even be? It's hilarious. I mean, it's, it's, this, it's this laugh of amazed disbelief. Like, I just didn't think that could happen. I want to tell you something. Something that's true for every believer. That God wants to change our laughter 
from what could almost be a mocking, incredulous unbelief of the unbeliever. Like, I just can't believe this stuff. It can't be true. There's no way. There's a Jesus who died for sins, who rose again. How in the world could God become man? I just, I, I can't believe it. It just can't be true. God wants to move us from that incredulous, stubborn, I know, that just, gosh, that's ridiculous, to a place where we're just amazed. <laughs> our laughter is our faith has become sight. It's like the clouds have been rolled back like the stone. God moves us to that place where we finally see, not just in this life, but when this life is done, the laughter and the joy. God wants to change our laughter from that mocking, incredulous unbelief to the worshipful laughter of amazed disbelief. Let's look at our story. We've been walking with Abraham and Sarah as God has made these promises. And in chapter 17, God once again appears to Abraham. God comes to him to reiterate some of his promises. In chapter 3, or chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Abraham was, and get this, 99 years old. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. We could stop right there. We could stop right there and have our sermon. We could stop right there because that's where God stopped me again this week and said, okay, you're not 99, but you need to listen up. Walk before me faithful, faithfully and blamelessly. How do I do that? I mean, I know that Christ has forgiven me. I know that God has taken away my sins. But I need to walk in a way that every thought, the meditations of my mind, the preoccupations of my heart would be pleasing in his sight. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday too. And on Fridays, because that's the day I want to kick back. Or on Saturdays when I'm thinking, oh, I need to do all of these tasks around the house. Or when I'm with my wife or when... I'm with students, or when I'm wherever I am, Lord, help me be both faithful to you and help me be blameless in your sight. I know that I am not sinless. I know that I'm not perfect, but God, let my life be that way. Could we just stop and have a sermon there? No, we can't, because we've got to move on. Uh, but uh, I think that that speaks to my heart, and maybe you need to stop, even right where you are as a believer, and say, am I walking blamelessly? Am I walking faithfully? Fully? Verse 2, then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. This is Abraham and Sarah. They had no children still at 99 years old. And Abraham, it says, verse 3, falls face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant for you with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, which by the way means father of many. His name meant father of many. He had no children. Well, now he had Ishmael, the father by Hagar. Remember the, the maid handmaiden. He does have a son, but you're going to be called father of many. He's changing your name. No longer will you be father of many, but your name will be Abraham, father of a multitude. I have made you the father of many 
nations. Verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come of you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of the descendants after you. In fact, verse 8, and the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you. I will be their God. If you've been with us this whole series... This is starting to sound familiar. We began in Genesis chapter 2 where God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the land that I will show you. I'm going to give you all of these things. God has repeatedly appeared to Abraham again and again. God has repeatedly restated the same promise again and again. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have many, many descendants. They're going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore. I'm going to give you this land that you're walking. It's going to be your possession forever. I'm going to make a covenant with you. He has repeated this over and over and over again. It's kind of starting to sound familiar. It feels like the Star Wars movies. Anybody watch Star Wars movies? Okay, I've got some Star Wars fans out there. I grew up with, when I was six years old, Darth Vader scared me so bad. I saw the first movie my dad took me. I was just, I was, I, I almost uh, <clears throat> soiled my riches, I think. Um, I was so afraid of that Darth Vader character. But let me tell you, just in case you missed it, I don't know how you missed it, but just in case you missed the whole Star Wars movies. In the very first movie, there was this giant Death Star space station that could blow up a whole planet. And, and what had to happen was the characters, the heroes, had to go and blow up this, this destructive, uh, evil uh, presence in the universe. I don't want to, I mean, what is it now, a 25, 35 year, 45 year spoiler? <clears throat> they, they, they blow it up. Well, a couple movies later, there's another one. They built the same, you can see it up there. There's another picture of the same kind of battle station that can blow up a whole planet. Here's the plot. The heroes had to get there and blow it up before they destroyed the universe. Okay, years and years, decades into the future, George Lucas has produced some new Star Wars movies. And when they first came out, we were all so excited. It's a new Star Wars. There hasn't been one for decades, and we were so excited. <clears throat> I don't want to ruin the plot for you, but there's a giant battle station in space that can blow up the whole... <clears throat> and the heroes have to... Yeah, you, you got the picture. All of a sudden, I was like... I feel like I saw this before. I feel like I've seen this a couple times before. I feel like this is the plot for every one of his movies. It seems like the same kind of thing. Okay. There comes a moment in our lives where we start hearing the sermons about, and we hear the message, and we hear this truth that God has loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, that Jesus came for you to die for you, to put his life on the cross to pay for your sins, that he rose again to give you new life. And it starts being like, yeah, I've heard that one before, I've heard this sermon before. When is lunch? You know, I mean, let's get this. Brothers and sisters, we joyfully give thanks to the one who rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves who left who didn't leave us as we are stranded slaves to our own desires but has transformed our lives and is transforming our lives so that we look like jesus act like jesus care like jesus love like jesus god has taken us through seasons 
For many of you, it's been seasons where you've seen successes. You've seen how God has moved in vacation Bible school and brought children to know Jesus. You've seen your children and your grandchildren even come to faith in Christ, maybe even in this place. You have seen God move in hearts and minds, and you're kind of at this place with Valley Baptist Church saying, Wait, wait, okay, yeah, okay, we've heard this one before. God can make the God's people alive again. Can he resurrect a church? Can he do spiritually good things? Can my life be vital again? We've challenged you for 50 days, walking with Jesus, reading his scriptures. I've done those things before. I've read the Bible before. God, yeah, yeah, those were good. And we think that, well, maybe the promises just don't seem fresh this time. Maybe they just don't seem new this time. Look at Abraham's reaction. Um, And even before that, what God says about Sarah. Verse 15, God said to Abraham, as far as Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah, but you are to call her Sarah. Um, And I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. Not, not by Hagar, but by her. Now notice she's 10 years younger than Abraham, so um, he's 99 and she's right about 90. She's 89, 90. He said, I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings and peoples will come from her. And here comes the laughter. Verse 17. Abraham falls down and he laughs. He laughs. And he says to himself, will a son be born to a man who's 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a, a child at the age of 90? It just isn't going to happen. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm 99 now. <clears throat> Even if I got her pregnant, I mean, it's going to be, a, I'm going to be 100 years old. And she's going to be 90. And that's just, that's probably not the time to be starting your family. God, I, this, this is sort of ridiculous. You're God. I believe your God. You've been faithful to me all of these years. For 25 years, you've led me through this land. You have protected me. You have provided. You've spoken to me again and again. But still, come on. He's face down. He's fallen down, and he honestly can't believe it. What kind of laughter is this? Well, I feel like this is that sort of It's not unbelief. He's not refusing to believe God, but it's that skeptical disbelief that I'm not sure how this is going to work out. I'm not sure how this is going to be true. I, I, I just can't believe that this would completely come about. I remember years ago, God was calling us. It was after Hurricane Katrina, so this has been a while, but we were supposed to do a mission trip. And we had students going to go rebuild houses in uh, Mississippi and in uh, uh, Louisiana. And we were coming down from upstate New York to do this, and we thought, boy, this is crazy, and it seems like a long distance. And we had about 50 students going. I think it was 45, something like 45, 50 students. And I began to think, I don't know if I want to just put everybody on a... Everybody find a car and we'll all meet you down there. I'm thinking, that's too many cars on the road for too far a distance. And... I just had this crazy idea, what if we chartered a bus? I don't know if you've ever chartered a bus before. They're not cheap. It was going to cost us $16,000 to charter a bus for the week. And everybody was like, yeah, that's too expensive. I don't know how we're doing that. But sometimes you get something in your head. 
And I just believed we were supposed to do this. And I thought, let's, let, guys. And so I talked to the leadership team, and we prayed about it, and we thought about it, and we, did, and we just said, you know, I think we're supposed to do this. Now, really, is when I say leadership team, I'm talking about a bunch of college students who don't have any jobs. <laughs> they're all going into debt. They don't, they're like, well, how much money have you got? Well, I got about $7 here. What about you? Well, here's my laundry money. Um, I, how is this going to happen? $16,000. Oh, by the way, in my lack of forethought, um, we were planning this about a month out. I was reading in John chapter 6, where there were 5,000 people, men, plus the women and children, sitting on a hillside. And Jesus asked his disciples, where are we going to get food for all these people? <laughs> and they were like, Jesus, you know, we'd send them away. And Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. And, and it said that Jesus did this only to test them because he already had in mind what he was going to do. And, and you see, Jesus took the one small lunch that the one boy had that had a few loaves and a few small fish, and, and he took it and fed thousands of people with it. And they had 12 basketfuls left over. And occasionally the Lord will use his word, not just to teach you a spiritual principle, but to speak directly to you. And that day, God spoke to me. It, was a, it wasn't an audible voice. It was just, trust me, and there'll be 12 basketfuls left over. Now, don't go reading Scripture all the time like that, and don't sit there and think, well, okay, and put your finger there and see what it says and imagine. But every so often, God, by his Spirit, will use his word in what we call illumination, that God just sort of makes a truth known to you. Well, students began to call, and we began to write to the churches, and we began to ask around local businesses, and students went to go up and down the, the, the hallways of their door and say, hey, we're trying to raise money to go to Katrina to build houses. You got anything? And people were giving their laundry money and whatever, and it was coming in, but it wasn't coming in quite fast enough. And even at the end, like two or three days before, businesses and leaders and Christians and churches were calling and saying, hey, did you have enough? Yeah, not quite, not quite, not quite. And in the last moment, all of a sudden, it was, well, wait, wait, yeah, well, you know, we have enough. No, wait, wait, we still have, oh, and it came in. When all was said and done, there were $12,000 left over. It funded the fact that that year we sent mission teams to Poland and to Senegal and to Peru. It, began, it laid the foundation for all the mission work that that group would do year after year after year because we never had to say to anyone, you can't go on this mission trip because you don't have enough money because we always had this pot that was there that seemed to keep seeding what we were doing. What seemed like this impossible task was clearly possible to God. What seemed like absolutely no way this can happen became a thing that we were in disbelief at how much and how God used it that there are missionaries in the world today that their very first mission trips were because of those funds that were left over from the raising the money to do the Katrina mission trip. I couldn't quite believe it. Yeah. It's not that I, it's unbelief, but it became my amazed disbelief. Valley Baptist Church, what is God going to do in your life? Where are the places that you say, this just is not possible. I don't see how it could come together. This isn't going to work. And yet, we're amazed because of the glory of God. You know Taylor Swift? 
Some commentators have said this, that Taylor Swift has this surprised look on her face whenever she wins an award. And if you know her, at age 19, surprised that she was the youngest ever, like, entertainer of the year, won that Grammy at 19. And there was a surprised look. But since then, let's face facts, the lady has made millions. The lady has lots of top number one songs. The lady has done so much in, in, in music. And... <clears throat> Maybe it's a little teeny boppery, but I gotta be honest, there's a few little catching, you know, it's a love story, baby, just say yes. There's some things that go through my head and kinda wake in my heart, and when I'm kinda needing a little, a little pep in the day, I might like put on a little Taylor Swift. I, I kinda like some of her songs. She still has a surprised look. It seems like every time she wins an award, it's this, oh my goodness, how could it be me? I'm thinking, you got some talent. Look, you've been the top in your field for so long. How could you still be surprised? Brothers and sisters, we need to be like that. Abraham felt this God's promise because he's seen God's provision. Not all of it's there yet, but as he sees it, there ought to be this joy. Think about it this way. We should laugh as Christians because of the wonder of God's astonishing plan, that God has a plan for us. Flip to that next slide for us. Um, it's that God's astonishing plan uh, that, that, that he sees. We should be amazed at God's faithfulness to us, that he always has come through. He's always kept his promises, whether it was... Uh, $16,000 and beyond for Hurricane Katrina relief, to what God's gonna provide right now. Or maybe we should be just laughing at the incredible wisdom of God. For example, listen to the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter one. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 1 Corinthians chapter one. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise, not by human standards, not many of you were influential, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. In a time when the Roman Empire exuded strength, was, was the picture of strength. The Roman legions were the most powerful fighting force in the world. It, it was a son of a carpenter, the incarnate son of God. It, it, it was this, 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 this peripatetic wandering teacher that, that, that flipped the world upside down and ultimately transformed all of the Mediterranean world and beyond in his lifetime. Did you know that the church in India traces its origins back to the Apostle Thomas? One of G it's called the Thomasine Church. They believe that Thomas made it all the way that way and started the church in the first century. God overturned the powers of the world, unbeknownst to the powers of the world. It wasn't what seemed strong. It wasn't what seemed powerful. It wasn't who was on the cover of the magazine. It was these lowly individuals who had a message, a message that Jesus Christ has come, that the Messiah has come, that he's died for sins, and he rose from the dead. How could this be? How could this be the message 
Look at Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God does things that ought to make us laugh. It blows our minds that his strategies are different than ours. We can't see how it's humanly possible. But the Lord brings about transformation in the world through us. Through us. Now, some of you, I've seen your resumes. You've actually been on the magazine covers. There's been articles written about you. Some of you are quite successful and quite gifted. That's not what God uses to change the world. Now, he might use some of your talents and some of your abilities, but he uses his power through his spirit to take, really, our weaknesses and use them for his ultimate purpose and his glory. Well, what about Sarah in this story? Remember, it's really not just about Abraham. What about Sarah? Well, let's pick up in chapter 18, and it says this. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mom, and he was there sitting at the entrance to the tent in the heat of the day. Now Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby, and when he saw them, he hurried from his entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. He knew that these three men were special. Somehow they represented God. One of them said, I will surely return to you this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, this is after God promised in chapter 17 again. Here it is, a little bit later, these three men representing God. It says, Sarah was listening to the entrance of the tent, which was behind them. Verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed. And thought to herself, after I am worn out, after my Lord is old, after will I ha now have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. <clears throat> but trying to cover things up a little bit. <laughs> Verse 15 Sarah was afraid and lied. She said, oh, oh, oh no, I, I didn't laugh. But the man said, yeah, yeah, yes, you did. Yes, you did. What was going on in Sarah's life? Was this this amazed disbelief? Like, God, I can't believe you would, you would choose me. I can't believe you would save me. I can't believe you would allow me to have this, this miraculous birth in my life. Or was it for Sarah that unbelief? That stubborn, incredulous, I'm not going to move. This just can't happen. <sighs> Is now you're going to make this happen in my life? For Sarah, she couldn't believe. Sarah, she just got stuck. You know, as we go forward as a church, some of us are facing some unbelief moments. God, how can this work? We want it to work. We want to believe but it's kind of hard. Some of you, as you're trying to follow, figure out if this Jesus thing is real, you're stuck. You're like, I, I don't know if I can believe it. I don't know if I can believe that there's a guy who is God in the flesh. I don't know if I can believe that he rose from the dead after three days of being in the tomb. I don't know if I can believe. 
Second Peter chapter three says this. Above all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers, these laughers, these mockers will come. And they're scoffing and they're following their own ways, their own evil desires. He says, they'll say, where is this coming? Where is this return of Jesus? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it's been going on from the, very, from the creation of the world. It's just going to keep going. It's been 2,000 years. Come on. Verse 9. But the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but that all would come to faith and repentance. God has a purpose in being patient. He's been patient with the world, not fixing everything, not bringing back Jesus. Now, why is he being patient? Because he wants more people to come to find this salvation. God is not willing that any should perish, but desires that all would come to know the truth. God is moving us in this history. He is being patient with us so that more would come into the reality of knowing him. It might be with you too. Maybe he's being patient as he's using you to be that witness. Maybe he's being patient with you and allowing that transformation to happen in your life. Maybe he's being patient with you because you've yet to accept Jesus as your savior, to grab onto him with both hands, to find the truth that God has doing, and that God is doing in bringing salvation into your life. So how did God change Abraham and Sarah? Well, look at verse 21, or chapter 21. And now the Lord was gracious to Sarah and said, the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. She became pregnant. And she bore a son to Abraham in his old age. It was her old age too, by the way. And at that very time, God had promised. Verse 3, and Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah born. You know what Isaac means? He laughs. He laughs. It's just laughter. <laughs> just, I can't believe it. Here he is. The son that's bringing joy and laughter. Verse 6, and, Abra and Sarah said this, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in my old age. Sarah experienced this joy. Abraham experienced this joy. But it only comes through faith in God's promise. There will be a day, my brothers and sisters, when our faith becomes sight, when the clouds are rolled back like the stone, when the trump will resound and the Lord will descend. You know the hymn. You know the song. There will be a day when our faith becomes sight, when we see him. And we will see his promises even in the land of the living, his goodness right now. But it only comes through faith in trusting that Jesus, first and foremost, is our salvation, that he died for sins, that he rose from the dead. There might be somebody here today that's never accepted Jesus as their Savior. You're hearing this, this incredible love of God, this choosing of you, even though, quite honestly, you're not the greatest, because I definitely wasn't. Now, not now, but that God loves you, that he's calling you would you say yes? Just right where you are, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, I'm trusting you, save me. Maybe you're listening online. Jesus, save me. For some of you this morning, you've trusted Jesus, but you're having a hard time 
believing the promises that are to come. The promises for your life, maybe the promises about this church, maybe the promises for your future, maybe the promises in relationships. God, when, how, I just don't know. Lord, help me not be stubbornly unbelieving your promises, but Lord, help me be someone who is truly <laughs> laughing in disbelief at what you will do so that when you do complete your promises, it will be that amazed disbelief at what you've done. This morning, perhaps you need to pray about something. The altar is here. I'll be here to pray with you. Or maybe you're saying, I actually need to know more about Jesus. I'll be here. If you want to come and speak to me privately about who Jesus is and what he's called us to do, the music team is going to play. Would you come? Would you respond as Jesus is calling you to himself?